Welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, AEW, NXT, Impact Wrestling, and AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage is a new uh, show from AEW, which was debuted Friday night after SmackDown. But I will get into those results whenever I get to them. But now let me start with uh, Monday Night Raw. Raw opened up with Randy Orton coming into the ring for his promo. Randy hasn't been on Raw for seven weeks, so that's a month and a half. And before Randy can even get out a good, like, two sentences, well, he got out one. He said, uh, this is supposed to be the moment that I say, welcome to Monday Night Raw. And as soon as he got done saying that sentence, Matt Riddle comes out. And Matt Riddle is so happy to see Randy Orton. And the first thing Riddle does is he asks Randy, where was he for all these seven weeks? He tells him that, man, he got him a new scooter and he can't wait to reform RK Bro or Randy. Randy tells him, I'm not to reforming uh, RK Bro. We had a good run, but I am a loner and I do things by myself. And I've been watching the show while I was home. And you were doing good without me. So we're not reforming RK Bro. Riddle was heartbroken by this. And he keeps on telling Randy, no, we need to reform RK Bro. We're such a good tag team. And Orton just keeps on denying that request. Which leads to AJ Styles and Omos coming out. The main reason Styles and Omos comes out is because Styles has been mentioning for weeks how he been beating up Riddle. And he's had Omos beat up Riddle. He thought that when Omos broke Riddle's uh, scooter... That would break Riddle, but that didn't happen. When Omos beat down and tossed around Riddle all around the ring last week, he thought that would break Riddle, but that didn't happen. But Styles said that once he saw that Randy Orton deciding not to reform RK Bro Riddle, that Riddle broke because of a broken heart. AJ Styles was basically mocking the relationship between Orton and Riddle. Orton got tired of hearing Styles talk, and Orton told Styles to shut his mouth. He talked about how during these weeks that he was gone, he got he saw Styles walking around like he owned the place. Orton told Styles that he doesn't own this place. As a matter of fact, he owns nothing. He's lucky that he wasn't here for those seven weeks. So Styles basically challenged Orton to a match later in the night, and Orton accepted that challenge. And Orton told Styles that Styles will be beaten by the three most dangerous letters in sports entertainment. And he said, R, K, Oh, and as soon as he said, oh, he was about to hit Styles with an RKO, but Styles was able to see that what Orton was about to do and was able to dip out of the ring. Orton then changed his focus onto Omos, and he tried to give Omos an RKO, which didn't happen, and old Randy was able to slither his way out of the ring. So Riddle tried to give Omos an RKO, and Riddle couldn't do it, so Riddle ended up eating and chokeslammed by Omos in the ring. And Riddle was able to roll himself out of the ring after getting chokeslammed, and he was just laying on the ground, and he had his hand up right at Randy's feet for Randy to like lift him up, and Randy didn't do it. Randy just looked down at Riddle and said, That didn't work out for you, did it, kid? And he just walked away, and that was the end of that segment. The next segment of the night was the first match of the night. It was Drew McIntyre beating Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin came over to Raw for the Superstar Initiative, which allows SmackDown superstars to come over to Raw, and Raw superstars to come over to SmackDown either monthly or bi-monthly, one of the two. Anyway, Baron Corbin comes over to Raw because Jinder Mahal gave him a call and told him that if he beats up on Drew, he will get paid. And since Baron Corbin is such in financial ruins, he does the he accepts Jinder's uh deal but in the end drew mcintyre does beat baron corbin before he claymore kicks corbin's head off 
Drew asks Corbin how much money he needs to last a week. And Corbin told, tells Drew that he needs $100,000. And Drew says $100,000. Wow. Why not make it $200,000? Huh. Why not make it $300,000? If you kind of get where I'm going here, Drew McIntyre does from three, two, then one. And then he hits Baron Corbin with a Claymore kick and pins Corbin and gets the one, two, three. After this, Indy Shear and Jinder Mahal starts walking down to the ring. And as soon as Drew sees them walking down to the ring, he pulls the sword from the corner and he just stands there in the ring while Jinder Mahal and Indy Shear stop in their tracks and starts walking back up the ramp. So this is still building up to a match with Drew and Jinder somewhere down the line. The next match after this was Killer Cross or Karrion Cross, the NXT champion, beating Jeff Hardy by submission when he locked in the cross jacket. And then after the match, Cross hits Jeff Hardy with a Saito suplex and locks in the cross jacket again on Hardy. So now it is one and one. Cross has beaten Jeff Hardy once and Jeff Hardy has beaten Cross once. More than likely next week we'll probably get the tiebreaker match. After this we had Alexa Bliss beating Dewdrop by pinfall. And the way this resulted was Alexa Bliss was getting beat down by Dewdrop. Dewdrop was maintaining and controlling the room the whole match until she looked at Lily over in the corner and Dewdrop was just like bashing Lily by saying she's done but a stupid doll and yada 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 but Lily was able to wink aka CGI effects and Dewdrop just like froze in her place which allowed Alexa to get a sneaky roll up and pin Dewdrop. After this we had Sheamus going against Ricochet, and Sheamus beats Ricochet by pinfall when Sheamus catches Ricochet in midair and hits him with a headbutt, and then followed it up by a bro kick. Remember, Sheamus is still wearing the metal face mask to protect his nose from being broken, so whenever he caught Ricochet in the air with a headbutt, you gotta remember, Sheamus hit Ricochet in the head with a headbutt, but Sheamus is still wearing the steel-plated face mask, so that caught Ricochet by days, which allowed Sheamus to hit him with the bro kick. After this, Sheamus was celebrating in the ring. He was on the he was on the second uh, turnbuckle and about to pose with the United States Championship, but his celebration was cut short when Damian Priest comes out to the ring and they got face to face. And Priest was mouthing off to Sheamus. Sheamus was mouthing off to Priest, and Sheamus was about to leave the ring, but then he tried to sneak attack Priest from behind, which allowed Priest to see this and throw Sheamus outside of the ring. And now Sheamus is all flustered that he couldn't get the drop on Priest, but have no fear. John Morrison comes out for his entrance, and this sets up a match between Damian Priest and John Morrison. Damian Priest beats John Morrison by pinfall whenever Priest catches John Morrison in midair and hits him with a spinning heel kick and then follow that up with the reckoning. And then after the match, Damian Priest goes outside of the ring and grabs all of the dripsticks from Miz and shoots all the water onto the Miz. And now Damian Priest is about to do something to the Miz because the Miz is a constant pain in Damian Priest's side. And as soon as he's about to do something to the Miz, the Miz stands up out of his wheelchair. Now for weeks and about a month or two, the Miz has been in a wheelchair and there's always been a mystery whether he was injured or not injured. It was reports that he had an ACL injury and he could be out for a year. This was all cleared up right tonight. The Miz was able to stand up and then this got a whole shock out of the whole audience and he got a shock out of the commentary table and the Miz just stood there shocked and then he starts running up the ramp and running up, running backstage. So this confirms that the Miz has been playing everybody, has been allowing John Morrison to do all his dirty work and also this proves that, well, 
Damien Priest was right about The Miz. Damien Priest said a couple weeks ago that The Miz is nothing but a scam artist and that he's using John Morrison uh, like a fiddle. And now John Morrison has seen this and now we'll probably see what John Morrison and The Miz probably have some like debauchery and some words back and forth next week on Monday Night Raw. If that, if I was to be a good fortune teller, that would be my fortune for that. That would be my fortune telling moment for next week's uh, episode of Raw. Anyway, after this situation goes down, Priest runs back into the ring, asks for a microphone, and he starts challenging Sheamus. Sheamus comes out. He's wearing the United States around his waist. Priest challenges Sheamus to a match at SummerSlam for the United States title, and Sheamus accepts. So at SummerSlam, we will be having Damian Priest going against Sheamus for the United States Championship. After this, we had another match of T-Bar beating Mustafa Ali by pinfall when T-Bar hits Mustafa with the feast your eyes. After the match, you had Mace and T-Bar about to hit Ali with a double choke slam until Mansoor comes off the top rope and drop kicks T-Bar behind the head and he starts beating up on Mace, and which allows T-Bar and Mace to run up the ramp in retreat mode while Ali is being uh, comforted by Mansoor as his, uh, as basically as a way of trying to cover for last week's mistake of losing the match and also Mustafa Ali uh, taking the beat down for Mansoor last week. So Mansoor was basically repaying the debt for a guy that's been uh, mentoring him in WWE so far. After this, we had an in-ring segment, or in-ring promo of. MVP and Lashley and the whole main point of this is that MVP and Lashley is talking about how Goldberg is the man and yada 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 but they are pleading to his son Gage and Goldberg and Gage are not at home they are talking to the camera and they're already making the indication that Gage and Goldberg are watching at home and MVP is telling Gage that he needs to tell his father not to show up on SummerSlam not to go into the ring with Bobby Lashley because he will get hurt and that if he shows up at SummerSlam, he won't be able to go to all Gage's football games, basketball games, baseball games, all that other stuff if he shows up to SummerSlam. But if he does show up to SummerSlam, he's going to get hurt. And Lashley grabs the microphone and basically says this, that if Goldberg shows up to SummerSlam, he's letting Goldberg know that he isn't next. He's done for. And that's how they end the segment. And Lashley was staring very, very menacing into the camera. So this is trying to show off the intensity that Lashley has and trying to make it understandably known that Lashley isn't here to play games. He's here to take out Goldberg if Goldberg shows up at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship. So that was the ending of that segment. After that, you had Nikki Ash or Nikki A.S.H. going against Rhea Ripley one-on-one competition, but it ends in a no contest when Charlotte comes out of nowhere and attacks both Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash. And Charlotte Flair hits uh, Nikki with a big boot and she hits Rhea Ripley with the natural selection. And then she grabs the WWE Women's Championship from the referee and poses with the title over both of their bodies, which gives you the picture that Charlotte Flair is looking to win uh, the WWE Women's Championship at SummerSlam in their triple threat match of Nikki A.S.H., and Rhea Ripley. After that, you had an Elias vignette. Elias is walking in the wild, and you start seeing him walk up on a bonfire. And you just start hearing in the background, you just start seeing, like, little highlight clips of Elias getting beat down with guitars, like, multiple moments of him getting hit in the back with the guitar. And Elias just looks at his guitar, 
and then he strings it one more time and you hear the strum and he in the background you hear hello my name is Elias and then he looks at the flames and then he looks at his guitar and then he throws his guitar into that bonfire and then he starts walking away and in the background you hear Elias is dead and this is basically indicating that Elias is now entering a new uh, stage in his career as a WWE performer. I don't know where we're going with Elias doing that. Personally, I have no idea. I thought that guitar whole deal was the only way how Elias was being like shown off on television as being the guy with the guitar. And he's known for being a, well, not a good wrestler technically. I mean, people know him for having a good elbow drop. And I mean, he could go and good, have a good match here and say with certain individuals. But he's more known for being the gimmick of the guy strumming the guitar. So I have no idea where we're going with this Elias character. But more than likely, I hope next week we're going to get a little bit more uh, pieces uh, connected to form this big picture of the puzzle. After that, we got the main event of Randy Orton going against AJ Styles. Orton ends up beating AJ Styles when Orton catches Styles in the midair and hits him with the RKO. Omos was distracted uh, outside. Omos was distracted by Riddle because Riddle came out of nowhere and starts trying to apply a sleeper hold onto Omos. And Omos hits uh, Riddle onto the ring post outside which allows Styles to look at this distraction and then he's about to set up for the phenomenal forearm. He jumps up for it and he's leaping towards Randy and Randy catches him with an RKO midair and hits him with it and got the one, two, three. After the match, Riddle, it goes into the ring and he starts apologizing to Randy because Randy throughout the night was telling Riddle that he wants Riddle not to be around in the match. He wants to take care of the match by himself. And Riddle is now apologizing because he disobeyed Randy's orders to stay backstage. So Riddle's pleading with him to forgive him. And he's trying to hug Randy. Randy isn't trying to feel that. But he ends up giving Riddle a hug in the end. And he allows Riddle to raise his hands in victory from one side of the ring to the other side of the ring. And the second time as he's raised, as Riddle is raising uh, Orton's hand in victory, Orton happens to smile a little bit, and then you notice that he's looking at uh, Riddle, and then he pulls Riddle in for an RKO, and Riddle gets hit with an RKO from Randy. And on the commentary booth, you hear Byron Saxon saying that um, maybe RK-Bro isn't done. Maybe they have reformed, and you would think that they didn't reform off the Orton giving Riddle a RKO, but you see that Riddle is on the floor. He's like in despair because he just got RKO, but Randy like moves the hair off of Riddle's face and he's smiling. And Randy got a real sick, twisted sense of humor. So maybe he accepted Riddle's apology and maybe they formed back uh, RK Bro. But we'll have to see next week on Raw. I'll say that they probably formed the team RK Bro again because they only got like next week's episode of Raw and they got like. That's one more week for them to like put the match in paper that RK Bro will be going against uh, AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team titles at SummerSlam. That's the only way I see this thing going down and ending. If that doesn't happen at SummerSlam, I'm going to be big confused. But I'm not. I have a feeling that next week we're going to get a certified message from WWE management that at SummerSlam we're going to get AJ Styles and Omos defending the Raw Tag Team titles against. Matt Riddle, and Randy Orton, RK-Bro, 
And that's how Raw ended. Raw ended with Orton giving Riddle an RKO. And Riddle just basically laying there in despair while Orton is just smiling. And you hear on the commentary team say, maybe RK-Bro is back together. Maybe. Now to NXT. NXT starts with Dakota Kai versus Saray. It was advertised that Saray will be going against Ember Moon, but at the top of the hour, NXT commentators let the fans know at home that Ember Moon wasn't medically cleared to wrestle Saray. So William Regal had the number one contenders to the women's championship, Dakota Kai, go against the undefeated Saray. Dakota Kai beats Saray by pinfall when she hits her with a running sidekick. After the match, Saray was uh, holding herself up and getting to her feet in the corner and Dakota Kai looked over and she was planning on hitting Saray with a running sidekick again but Raquel Gonzalez comes out to make the save. Raquel runs Dakota Kai out of the ring and out of the arena and Raquel grabs the mic and says that Dakota Kai only had to act for a championship match. She didn't have to turn on her. She didn't have to attack her from behind or any of that. The only thing she had to do was ask for a women's title match. Now that she's upset Raquel, Raquel is letting Dakota know that she is going to rip her apart and that she is not going to take the NXT women's title away from her at NXT TakeOver. After this, we had Ilya Dragunov's in-ring promo. Ilya Dragunov is a NXT UK competitor who is coming over to NXT in America for uh, preparation for his match against Walter at NXT TakeOver 36, which happens next Sunday. Ilya's whole main point of his promo is that he's going to beat Walter at NXT TakeOver 36 and take the United Kingdom title. He's going to beat the unbeatable Walter and crush that kingdom that Walter has built over in the NXT UK division. Ilya is interrupted by Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne comes to the ring and tells Ilya that he needs to thank Pete Dunne for putting the NXT UK brand on the map. He needs to thank Pete Dunne for carrying the whole European scene while he was the NXT United Kingdom champion. And he needs to thank Pete for without Pete, there would be no NXT UK. There would be no Ilya going against Walter at TakeOver. And there definitely wouldn't be no Ilya looking at the baddest man in NXT. Basically inferring that Ilya wouldn't be employed by WWE. Ilya and Pete has a little bit of back and forth, but it all culminates to this with Ilya challenging Pete Dunne to a match tonight, and Pete Dunne accepts. After this, we have a match between LA Knight and Andre Chase. This match is really quick. LA Knight beats Andre Chase by a headlock driver, and after the match, LA Knight tells Cameron Grimes to shine his boot. Before Grimes even gets down to even shine LA Knight's boot, Ted DiBiase's music hits, and Ted DiBiase starts walking down to the ring. Ted DiBiase ends up grabbing a mic and tells Cameron Grimes that he envisions Cameron Grimes as a champion. He doesn't envision Cameron Grimes as LA Knight's butler. Grimes is a champion in the making, in Ted DiBiase's words. LA Knight tells Teddy DiBiase to shut up and stop putting false dreams into Cameron Grimes' head. He is always meant to be a butler, born to be a butler. Teddy DiBiase tells Grimes that, did you hear that? You're born to be a butler. You're not born to be a butler. You're born to be a champion. LA Knight fears you. LA Knight knows that if he goes against you one more time, you're going to beat him. LA Knight stops him right there and he says, it's been scientifically proven that Cameron Grimes can't beat LA Knight. We had a match twice, and I beat him both of those times. And he said, you know what? Fine. You know what? I'm going to give Cameron Grimes one more chance. At NXT TakeOver, he has his match against me. He gets another shot at me for the Million Dollar Championship. 
But let's raise the stakes. If I beat Cameron Grimes, I don't just have him as my butler. I have you, Ted DiBiase, as my butler. Cameron Grimes is trying to stop Ted DiBiase from saying anything, from even accepting this challenge. Grimes is telling DiBiase, Ted, Ted, Ted. But Ted tells Knight that he's a gambling man and he has a whole lot of money. So he takes that bet. So at NXT TakeOver 36, it will be LA Knight going against Cameron Grimes for the million dollar title. But if Cameron Grimes loses this time, Ted DiBiase will also be LA Knight's butler. So that is another match that we have for NXT TakeOver 36. After this, we have Gigi Dolan going against Amari Miller. Gigi Dolan beats Amari Miller by pinfall whenever Gigi Dolan hits Amari Miller with the abdominable stretch bomb. After this, we have the face-off between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly with William Regal being the mediator. Regal informs both Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly that their match at NXT TakeOver 36 will be a 2 out of 3 falls match. Each one of them will be picking a stipulation for their match. So for instance, Kyle O'Reilly has the first match and Kyle O'Reilly's stipulation for the first match is a straight on one on one normal wrestling match. Adam Cole has the second match and his stipulation for the second match is a street fight. And so happen if they get to a third fall, William Regal has to pick the third stipulation for the third fall. And before he could even announce the stipulation, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly are start throwing shots at one another. Adam Cole tells Kyle O'Reilly that he has been riding Adam's coattail for 13 years. He has learned everything under Adam Cole for 13 years. Basically, Kyle O'Reilly is nothing without Adam Cole. And during this, they start throwing hits at one another. They start brawling and security separates the two. And Regal says, this is why I knew this kind of thing will happen. So your third fall, if it gets to it, will be a steel cage match. So at NXT TakeOver 36, between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly in that two out of three falls match, the first match will be a normal match. The second match will be a street fight. And if necessary, the third match will be a steel cage match. After this segment, we had Odyssey Jones going against Trey Baxter in the semifinals of the NXT Breakout Tournament. Odyssey Jones beats Trey Baxter by pinfall whenever Odyssey Jones hits Trey with a spin-out powerbomb. So now Odyssey Jones has advanced to the finals of the NXT Breakout Tournament. After this, we have a segment of Royal Regal letting the NXT fans know that next week on NXT, it will be the Cruiserweight title match of Roderick Strong going against Kushida. And also, the NXT tag titles will be on the line whenever champions MSK will go against Imperium. After this, we have a one-on match between Boa and Drake Maverick. Boa beats Drake Maverick by pinfall when Mi Ying blows smoke into Drake's face while the referee is distracted with Boa. And then Drake gets into the ring and he's still trying to clear his eyes off from the smoke. And Boa hits Drake with a roundhouse kick and gets the pin. Now it's main event time of NXT with Pete Dunne going against Ilya Dragunov. This is a nice European uh, United Kingdom style match. If you want to know what the United Kingdom uh, NXT brand is basically about with striking and some wrestling. Yes, you have some high flying, but the majority of their whole wrestling style is nothing but striking and wrestling. If you wanted to know what the NXT UK, UK um, standard and wrestling format was, you should watch this match between Pete Dunne and Ilya Dragunov. Anyway, Pete Dunne beats Ilya Dragunov by pinfall whenever Pete Dunne hits Ilya with the bitter end because Ilya was distracted by Walter coming down to the ring. Ilya had the match win whenever he was in the corner setting up for the Torpedo Moscow, which is basically a running uh, spinning headbutt. 
but Walter comes out to the ring and distracts Ilya. Ilya kicks Pete Dunne out of the ring, and Ilya just walks over to the ropes and starts mouthing off to Walter, and this allowed Pete Dunne to come in and try to hit the bitter end, but Ilya was able to maneuver out. They strike each other back and forth, but this allows Pete Dunne to hit one good strike and get Ilya unconscious and allows Pete to hit Ilya with the bitter end and gets the pin. After the match, Pete Dunne sees Walter get into the ring, and he knows what Walter is about to do, and Pete Dunne slides out of the ring and doesn't mind Walter at all. Walter picks up Ilya and slaps Ilya in the face, and Walter is about to hit Ilya with a half-Nelson suplex until Ilya is able to slip out of the maneuver and nails Walter with the torpedo Moscow. Remember, that's a running, spinning uh, headbutt. After that, Walter rolls out of the ring, and he's holding his head, and he's laying on the ground, and Ilya is in the ring now, holding the NXT UK title. And that is how NXT ends off with Walter on the ground, and Ilya holding the NXT UK title, which is basically giving you an idea what NXT UK would look like if Ilya were to win the UK title from Walter. Now to AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite starts with MJF cutting a backstage promo with Warlow in the background. The main point of this promo is MJF is letting Chris Jericho know that Warlow is going to beat him up tonight. And all his labors would be for nothing. AK meaning that all the labors that he had to go through all the matches before this point. The Nick Gage, the Juventud Guerrero, the Sean Spear matches will be for nothing. Because Warlow is going to beat Chris Jericho tonight. And MJF does say that if miraculously Chris Jericho does beat Warlow tonight... And next week in his match with MJF, he's not going to stand a chance. He's going to fall at the knees and at the feet of MJF because MJF is better than him and he knows it. Warlow happens to chime in and tells MJF that Jericho stands no chance tonight against him. MJF has to look at Warlow and tell him, oh yeah, the same way that Cody stood no chance against you in a steel cage match. And MGF is referring to last year around February of 2020, Warlow lost in his debut match on Dynamite against Cody Rhodes in a steel cage. MGF tells Warlow to get the job done tonight. After this promo, it is announced on commentary that at All Out, it will be Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage for the AEW World Title match because Christian Cage is the number one contender. He's the number one man on AEW's rankings for the AEW World Title. After this announcement, it was time for the first match of the night. It was Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks beating the team of Dante Martin and the Seidel brothers, Matt Seidel and Mike Seidel, by pinfall when Kenny Omega hit the one-winged angel on Dante Martin, and then he floated Dante Martin over to the Young Bucks, and all three members, Omega and the Young Bucks, hit a V-trigger and a BTE trigger combo onto Dante Martin and pinned Dante Martin. This was a great, excellent showing for Dante Martin. He's a young young upstart in AEW. He's 20 years old, so he still has a whole lot of uh he still has a whole lot of time to grow in the wrestling ring, but he's a good high flyer. And if anything, I would like to see him, if Ricochet ever does get released from WWE, be under the mentorship of Ricochet, because I can see a Dante Martin going in the way of Ricochet. Anyway. After the match, Don Callis comes to the ring and he grabs a microphone. And before he can even talk about anything, Christian Cage comes to the entrance stage. Don tells Christian that there are 10 guys in this ring. And obviously he's exaggerating because in that ring is seven guys. But he throws out the number 10 because Don is Don. 
And he tells Christian that there's only one of him and nobody's coming out to be around Christian. And out comes Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus to aid Christian Cage. And now you have Jurassic Express and Christian Cage coming down to the ring and into the ring. And they are facing off with the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Don Callis, Michael Nakazawa, and Brandon Cutler. Don Callis and Christian Cage have a war of words. They just constantly just spit, spatter words at one another. And the main point of this is that Christian is letting Don Callis and Kenny Omega know that on their first ever show of Rampage, on the first match of Rampage, in the first match of the night, it will be Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage for the Impact World title. Kenny Omega is frustrated. He can't believe that he, this, anything like this is happening. And he's just so irate. So Christian Cage and Jurassic Express leaves the ring and Christian Cage music is playing. But Drongo Boy grabs the microphone and tells the technician to cut the music for a minute. And he tells the Young Bucks that, oh, yeah, he forgot to mention that next week on AEW Dynamite, it will be the Jurassic Express going against the Young Bucks for the tag team titles. And now you have the Young Bucks frustrated because the Jurassic Express is the number one contenders for the AEW tag titles. You would think that they would give the Young Bucks some preparation time and probably have their match all out. But no, Jurassic Express wants their match next week on AEW Dynamite. Tony Khan gives it to them. So next week on AEW Dynamite, it will be the AEW tag team titles on the line with the champions, the Young Bucks, going against Jurassic Express. After this, they air a video from Malachi Black. And Malachi Black's whole main point of the video is that he told everybody the week before his match with Cody that he guaranteed him three things. That it would be quick, brutal, and violent. And all three of those things came to fruition. And Black lets Cody know that if he wants to do this again, he will end him. And he lets everybody know that he won't be gracious to anybody that tries to step up against him in the future. Meaning, Cody got generously dealt with. Malachi Black showed mercy to Cody when he put him down. And anybody that wants to go against Malachi Black won't be getting the same kind of treatment. They will get treated much more brutal. Their pain won't be quick. It will be long-lasting. That's the whole main point message of this video from Malachi Black. After this, a video from Miro plays. And the main point of this is that he's letting the audience know that on the ep debut episode of Rampage, AEW has put him in a match against a guy. And if the guy wins, he will get an AEW contract. And also, this match is for the AEW TNT title. And the man that Miro will be going against on the debut episode of Rampage is Fuego Del Sol. So on Rampage, you will be getting an Impact Championship match and also a TNT Championship match. After this video, and the next following match was Darby Allen beating Daniel Garcia by pinfall when Darby Allen hits Daniel Garcia with the coffin drop. There was a nice little one-on-one -on -one confrontational match between Darby Allen and Daniel Garcia. This is um, basically they're running it back, but this time just between these two after their six-man uh, match last week where Darby Allen pinned Daniel Garcia with the coffin drop last week. So Daniel Garcia thought he would get the win, but... That didn't happen, but this was a nice, still a nice showing for Daniel Garcia, and it let everybody in the wrestling world know who Daniel Garcia is, what he has to offer, but it also lets the world know that Darby Allen is still the star in AEW and the future star that AEW wants to bring up to the main event whenever it's time for Darby Allen to be in the main event. After the match, the team of 2.0 beats up Darby Allen, and as they're beating up Darby Allen, Sting comes from around the ring and saves Darby Allen. So now you got Darby Allen and Sting fighting 2.0 up the ramp. You have Sting hitting one member of 2.0 with a suplex on the entrance ramp. 
and then you have Sting punch the other member of 2.0, and then you just see 2.0 basically retreating. So that was the end of that whole scuffle. After this, they send it backstage to a Death Triangle promo, and Penta wants Andrade, period. Penta wants Andrade. Phoenix is tired of messing around and having Andrade just constantly bother the Death Triangle, and Pac tells Penta and Phoenix that they need to get their heads focused on the AEW Tag Team titles. Pac lets Penta and Phoenix know that they are the best tag team here in AEW and that they are the best tag team here and that they deserve to have those tag team titles around their waist. Pac then focuses on the camera and he tells Andrade that anytime, any place, he is ready. Pac is ready for Andrade and he wants to end Andrade. After this, we have a match of Matt Hardy and Private Party beating the team of Orange Cassidy, Wheeler Yuta, and Chuck Taylor by pinfall when Matt Hardy hits the twist of fate on Wheeler Yuta. This was a nothing match. It was like a fluff match for the show. After this, we go backstage to Andrade now. Andrade basically gives a rebuttal to Pac's challenge, and he tells Pac to be careful what you wish for. And Chavo announces that at All Out, it will be Andrade versus Pac. This is the first time I believe this match has ever happened in wrestling, so this will be a nice match between a relentless, uh, muscular-bound, I mean, just a hybrid wrestler like Andrade and a hybrid wrestler like Pac just going against each other, especially with the ruthlessness of Pac and the ruthlessness of Andrade since he's gotten released and he wants to prove himself and show the wrestling world what he truly can do and what WWE missed out on the opportunity. This match all out, I guarantee, will be a one that will probably steal the show. After that, you have the match of Chris Statlander going against Nyla Rose. Chris Statlander beats Nyla Rose by pinfall whenever Chris Statlander hits Nyla Rose with a 450 splash. This match was dominated by Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose was dominating this match. She was key. she was using her power. This is what Nyla Rose is meant for. Nyla Rose is a dominant, powerful women's wrestler. She needs to use her power a lot, and it showed a lot during this match. She was constantly hitting shoulder tackles and shoulder tackles onto Chris Statlander, where Chris Statlander would fly across the ring and everything else. I mean, just after these shoulder tackles. And Nyla Rose is a power wrestler. That's all this match was for, but... Chris Statlander was able to powerbomb Nyla Rose and then go up for the 450 splash and pin Nyla Rose. And that's how that match ended. And this is showing that Chris Statlander is starting to work her way up the AEW Women's Rankings. So she will become the next person to challenge for the AEW Women's Championship. After this, we had a Britt Baker in-ring promo. And we are in Pittsburgh, so Britt Baker came out to black and gold and she's playing up the... AEW Pittsburgh collaboration. She's from Pittsburgh, so she's playing up to the hometown crowd of cheering for her and yada, yada, yada. But the whole main point of her coming out and doing this in-ring promo is is that she's hyping up her match with Red Velvet on Rampage. Britt lets Red Velvet know that on Rampage, Red Velvet will give it her best shot, but it won't be enough. Britt Baker is still going to walk out of Pittsburgh with the AEW Women's Championship match. And she has Tony Schiavone and the rest of the audience pronounce Dr. Britt Baker DMD. After this, Britt Baker is showing off the championship to the crowd and playing up to the crowd as the crowd is all cheering for Britt Baker. But out of nowhere, Red Velvet slides into the ring and starts attacking Britt Baker. And now Britt Baker and Red Velvet are going at it. Just start hammering fists at one another and they get into a big brawl. And then you have the referees come in and break the break up this little brawl between the two to let the fans get like a taste of what they should expect at AEW Rampage whenever those two come together and collide for the AEW Women's Championship match. 
After this, we have an Impact Wrestling Tag Team title match. It is the champions, the Good Brothers, going against Dark Order's members, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. The Good Brothers beat Evil Uno and Stu Grayson by pinfall whenever the Good Brothers hit Stu Grayson with a magic killer. Again, this was another great tag team match from presented by AEW. They're showing you that tag team wrestling can be a option. The tag team wrestling does matter. The tag team wrestling shouldn't always just be like a match just thrown in anywhere that if you give these competitors enough time that you can get a good solid tag team match out of any tag team. And this match really proved it. The Good Brothers are good tag team wrestlers. And Evil Uno and Stu Grayson are a great tag team. Put two great tag teams against one another. You're going to get a good match. And this match I highly recommend you watching if you especially if you like tag team wrestling. After this match we had a segment of QT Marshall in the factory in an in-ring promo. And the whole main point of this is that QT Marshall tells Tony Schiavone to apologize for disrespecting him for weeks. And Tony Schiavone looks at him in confusion like, why am I apologizing to you? And Tony Schiavone is like, nah, I'm not apologizing. So QT Marshall says, okay, yeah, you're not going to apologize. So they grab one of Tony Schiavone's kids out of the crowd. And Tony Schiavone's kid is not like a kid that you would think like a four or five or even a 12 year old. No, this man is a fully grown man. I probably say probably like in his mid 30s. And they grab him out of the crowd, they bring him into the ring, and they have one member of the factory is holding him, and QT Marshall punches him in the gut, and Tony Giovanni just standing there hopelessly, and he apologizes. He said, you know what, I apologize, you SOB. And QT Marshall looks at Tony and says, you know what, apology, not accepted. And then he diamond cutters Tony Giovanni's kid. And the crowd is booing QT Marshall and all this, and then you hear the music of Paul White formerly known as a big show in WWE. He comes out to the ring and he gets into the ring and he locks eyes with the factory. And QT Marshall happens to push one of the members of the factory, Aaron Solo, to Paul White. And as as he's doing this, Paul White catches Aaron by the throat. And this allows the factory to leave the ring and they watch as Aaron Solo gets chokeslammed by Paul White. So this is setting up Paul White to somehow get in his in-ring debut on AEW Dynamite or somewhere in AEW, any time or place. But this is letting you know that Paul White is coming to the ring. He's coming out of semi-retirement to wrestle sometime real soon. After this is main event time, the fourth labor of Jericho. Chris Jericho going against Warlow with MJF in Warlow's corner. Chris Jericho beats Warlow by pinfall by hitting him with the Judas Effect. This happens when MGF was caught by the referee because MGF was going to come into the ring and hand Warlow his AEW Dynamite ring. The referee catches MGF trying to give Warlow the ring and the referee sends MGF out of the ring and to the back. As this is happening, MGF is showing resistance. He's not trying to go to the back and he's on the ramp and now you have people from production and outside referees pushing MGF to the back. And as this is happening... Warlow is trying to grab Chris Jericho as Chris Jericho's in the corner. And underneath Chris Jericho, Jericho's whole hiding a metal bat. And Jericho gets up, hits Warlow with the metal bat, and then he hits Warlow with the Judas effect and gets the pin. So now next week, we will have the match of Jericho going against MJF. And Jericho finally will get his hands on MJF after doing all these labors just to get that rematch with MJF. After this match, though, Sean Spears attacks Chris Jericho from behind, and he puts the boots to him, and Warlow is attacking Jericho as well, 
But then out of nowhere, Sammy Guevara runs down to the ring and comes in and starts hitting up on Sean Spears. And now you have Sammy and Jericho going against Warlow and Spears. And this is good and dandy until MGF gets back in the ring. So now there's a three-on-two beatdown. And MGF has Jericho in the salt of the earth arm bar. And Jericho is just in the ring and he's yelling for because he's in agony he can't do nothing and Sammy Guevara is getting the boots to him by Warlow and uh, Sean Spears and it just this happens for a good two minutes until Jake Hager comes down to the ring to help out Jericho and Sammy Guevara and now when Hager comes into the ring Sean Spears MGF and Warlow retreats out of the ring and up the ramp and now MGF has a microphone and MGF tells Jericho that you know I never told you the stipulation for our match next week. And he's going to take away something from Jericho that Jericho has used in every single one of his matches of the labors of Jericho. And what Jericho has used is the Judas effect. So next week, Chris Jericho cannot use the Judas effect and he can't come out to the Judas theme song. So MJF is stripping Judas away completely from Chris Jericho so Chris Jericho will be coming out to the ring dead silence so more than likely he'll be coming out to fans probably like singing the intro of Judas or probably just yelling for Jericho but the main thing is if Chris Jericho happens to use the Judas effect on MGF next week MGF will win their match automatically and that's going to be the devastating blow to Chris Jericho if Chris Jericho happens to lose to MGF anyway next week MJF will have beaten Chris Jericho at Chris Jericho's own game. So next week, to reiterate, it is Chris Jericho going against MJF. And if Chris Jericho uses the Judas effect, Chris Jericho loses. So next week, it should be a nice, good, solid one-on-one match between Jericho and MJF. And I'm banking on probably Jericho winning. So then you have the rubber match between Jericho and MJF at All Out. That's just me. And that's how they end AEW Dynamite for this week. Impact Wrestling opens up with a one-on-one competition between Tennille Dashwood and Taylor Wilde. Tennille Dashwood beats Taylor Wilde whenever Tennille Dashwood hits Taylor Wilde with a spotlight, which is a sliding kick to the head. This happened when the referee was blinded by hairspray by Caleb, and Taylor Wilde tries to grab Caleb by his neck brace, and whenever Taylor is doing this, Madison Rain comes from behind Taylor Wilde and throws her into the ring post, well, shoulder first into the ring post, and that sent Taylor Wilde into the ring post. She comes out of it, and then she's hunched over, and this gave Tennille Dashwood the perfect opportunity to hit the spotlight on Taylor Wilde and get the pinfall. After the match, you had Taylor Wilde on the ground, and Tennille Dashwood and Madison Rain just staring at one another. People didn't know if Madison Rain and Tennille were going to fight or anything. They just stopped and just stared at one another, and as the anticipation was building up, they turned their faces into smiles and they both just hugged it out so it seems like madison rain is with tenille dashwood i don't know for what but more than likely we'll probably see next week on impact wrestling after this we had a match between josh alexander and davari and the situation was if davari wins this match he gets a future x division championship title match that doesn't happen josh alexander beats davari by pinfall whenever josh alexander hits davari with the c4 spike better known as the J Driller. After the match, Jake Something comes from the entrance stage and goes down to the ring and grabs the X-Division title from the referee. And Josh Alexander and Jake Something are staring each other down because this is a match that's destined to happen somewhere down the line. Jake Something won last week, remember, in a fatal four-way match to become the X-Division number one contender. So 
he's staring down with the champion Josh Alexander, and Jake something has the exhibition title. He shoves the exhibition title into Josh Alexander's chest. That's showing dominance on Jake Something's side. He wants to let Josh know that it's not going to be an easy cakewalk with me. I'm going to show you that I am a great competitor and you're going to have to do whatever it takes to beat me so you can retain your exhibition championship. That's basically what that shoving of the exhibition title to Josh Alexander's chest meant. After this, we get an in-ring promo from Kiera Hogan. The main point of this promo is that Kiera is upset that Tasha turned on her last week and had somebody do her dirty work. So she ends up challenging both Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans. However, Sue Young and Kimberly shows up. Kimberly gets into the ring and she starts hitting Kiera Hogan. Those two have a brawl and Kiera Hogan ends up getting the better end of Kimberly until Sue Young starts putting on a glove. And as Sue Young's putting on a glove, you see behind Kiera Hogan, you can see Kimberly standing up and putting on a glove of her own. So basically, Sue Young is basically controlling Kimberly by telekinesis. It's the same thing basically that Alexa Bliss did on Monday Night Raw like weeks ago. It's basically Alexa was able to control somebody by staring at them, but this time Kimberly is being controlled by Sue Young. So anyway, Kimberly puts the glove on and she puts the manimal claw onto Kiara Hogan. And this lays out Kiara Hogan. And Sue Young tells Kimberly to grab Kiara Hogan out of the ring by her hair. And Kimberly does that. She grabs Kiara Hogan out of the ring by her hair. And they start dragging her onto the entrance ramp and to the backstage. And as this is happening, Kiara Hogan is, you can hear her just scream. So this is basically the last time we're going to be seeing Kiara Hogan on Impact Wrestling because her contract is up. So they had to find a way to get her out of Impact Wrestling. So Kiara Hogan is now done with Impact Wrestling. After that segment, the next match that we had was Finn Juice going against Chris Bay and Jay White. Finn Juice beats Chris Bay and Jay White by disqualification when Jay White hits Juice Robinson in the back with a steel chair. Juice Robinson and David Finley just got done hitting Chris Bay with the Doomsday device. As Juice Robinson is going for the cover, Jay White sees this. He grabs a steel chair, goes into the ring, and hits Juice Robinson behind the back. David Finley sees Jay White hit Juice Robinson with a steel chair, and he runs over to try to stop Jay White, but he ends up hitting, getting hit with a steel chair in the gut by Jay White and then in the back. And then the same goes for Juice Robinson. Jay White lays out both David Finley and Juice Robinson with steel chairs, and to end it all off, Jay White hits a blade rudder on David Finley on a steel chair. This is giving David Finley a taste of his own medicine whenever he goes against Jay White this upcoming Saturday at New Japan's event in Los Angeles. And remember, Jay White is going to be defending his never openweight championship against David Finley. So he's trying to soften up David Finley. So his match with him on Saturday will be a nice, easy, breezy uh, fight. After this, we had the backstage promo from Tasha Steeles. And the main point of this promo was that Tasha mentioned that she turned her back on Kiera because she saw the direction they were headed. Last year, around this time, Tasha Steeles and Kiera Hogan were on the brighter side of things. They were the two young, bright, upcoming stars of Impact Wrestling. They had a bright future. They won the Knockouts Tag Team titles. They were just sitting sky high. Now that they're on their downslope, they're going in a losing direction. Tasha Steeles saw that it was writings on the wall. So she knew something had to be done, and she knew that somebody had to go. So that's the reason why she turned her back on Kiera Hogan and she brought in Savannah Evans into Impact and Tasha Steele's mentioned how Kiera Hogan wanted to 
challenge both Tasha and Savannah. But now seeing that Kiera got taken out by Kimberly and Sue Young, Tasha realized that, you know what? I don't have to deal with Kiera, Kiera Hogan ever again. And Falabot ends up interrupting Tasha Steele's promo and asks Tasha for help dealing with Rosemary and Havoc. Tasha agrees to help out Falabot because Havoc and Rosemary have the knockouts tag team titles. The tag titles that Tasha Steele wants and more than likely she's going to probably get them. After this, we had a backstage interview segment with Melina. Melina's main point being here is that she's grateful to be wrestling at an all-woman's pay-per-view for the NWA and it's for the Knockouts Championship. She's just so grateful to be an impact. She's just so grateful to have this opportunity. Deanna Perrazzo interrupts this and lets Melina know that she is training with an MMA fighter to get better at her craft, to get better at professional wrestling, to add another tool into her wrestling tool belt. And she ends up showing a video package of her training. And then after the video package, Melina lets Deanna Perrazzo know that she is impressed with Deanna's training. She's impressed that Deanna's trying to get better at learning how to gain more holds into her repertoire of professional wrestling. But Melina does inform Deanna Peraza that next week on Impact Wrestling, Melina will be having her first ever match in Impact Wrestling, and that Deanna Peraza can come to the ring and watch and see what she's getting herself into for her match at NWA Empower for the Knockouts Championship. After this, we have a backstage promo from Christian Cage. Christian Cage's whole main point of this is to hype up his match with Kenny Omega on Rampage, for the Impact Wrestling world title. Christian lets the world know that he's going to try to take every championship that Kenny Omega has. Christian informs the people at Impact that he will be at Impact next week to give back to a company that gave him many championship opportunities when other companies didn't and didn't see him as somebody of value to garner a world championship opportunity. So Christian is coming back to Impact just to basically repay the debt of gratitude that Impact gave to him many years ago. After this, we had a match of John Schuyler going against Matt Cardona. John Schuyler beats Matt Cardona by pinfall with the schoolboy. The reason this happened is Rohit Raju comes down to the ring. He gets on the apron and distracts Matt Cardona. Cardona runs towards him and Rohit drops down. And now Cardona is trying to turn his focus back onto John Schuyler. And when he turns around, he eats a giant knee to the face and then gets pinned with a schoolboy from John Schuyler. So John Schuyler gets the win over Matt Cardona and Rohit Raju is just basically a thorn in the side of Matt Cardona at this present time. And now for the main event of Impact Wrestling. It was a 20-man battle royal to determine the number one contender for the Impact Wrestling world title. The winner of the battle royal will get their world title opportunity at Resurgence next Friday on Impact Wrestling Plus. And the winner of this battle royal was Brian Myers. He ends up throwing out both Moose and Chris Saban to win the battle royal. Out of everybody that was in this battle royal, from Sammy Callahan, Rich Swan, Chris Saban, Moose, Matt Cardona, even Eddie Edwards, and also W. Morrissey, formerly known as Big Cass, you have Brian Myers winning this battle royal. I'm not sure what Impact wants to do with this. I understand that Brian Myers has the moniker and nickname as the most professional wrestler, but I'm not sure what type of deal they want to do with Brian Myers as the winner of this and being a challenger for the Impact title. I mean, I'll sit and wait probably next week because we still got to see, but hey, that was the main event of Impact Wrestling. Brian Myers as your new number one contender for the Impact Wrestling world title. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a John Cena in-ring promo. 
John Cena lets the fans know that he knows that it's back to school season time. And he said, I'm going to give Roman Reigns a report card grade. And Roman Reigns grade is a D, as in D for D-bag, D-head, and a big disappointment. And he lets the fans know that at SummerSlam, he's going to give Roman Reigns an F. Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman comes out and interrupts John Cena. John Cena lets Roman Reigns know that at SummerSlam, he's here to embarrass him. He's going to embarrass him at SummerSlam. He lets Reigns know that he isn't better than anybody. Roman Reigns walks around with his oral and mystique that he's better than everybody. SmackDown's his show. SmackDown's the island of relevance to Roman Reigns and that nobody is on Roman Reigns' level. John Cena is here to knock Roman Reigns down a peg or two. Roman gets on the mic and tells John that instead of being like John Cena, he's going to be the opposite of John Cena. He's going to acknowledge John Cena. He knows that John Cena is one of the best WWE products ever in WWE. He knows he'll be on top of the Mount Rushmore of WWE. But however, at SummerSlam, Roman Reigns is going to smash him and send him right back to Hollywood. John lets Roman know that, yeah, Roman is going to beat him up, but John only has to hang in there for three seconds. One, two, three. John lets Roman know that this match is a match for Roman to show up. This match is all about Roman Reigns. If Roman Reigns doesn't show up, he's going to get embarrassed and be the answer to a trivia question of who did John Cena beat to become a 17-time world champion. John mentions how Roman Reigns has been protected for 10 years. He mentioned how he was protected by the Shield. He almost ruined Seth Rollins. He sent Dean Ambrose running out of WWE, and he has been protected by the company throughout this whole 10-year slot. And John Cena mentioned that at SummerSlam, He's going to jump the guardrail, run up the steps, and might even blow a kiss to Reigns while holding the Universal title, making an example out of his infamous match with CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011 when CM Punk jumped the guardrail and blew a kiss to Vince McMahon holding the WWE Championship, inferring that he was gone and never coming back. So that was John Cena's whole main point. Whenever he beats Roman Reigns, he's going to take the Universal title back to Hollywood or back to wherever John wants to take it and might not ever come back. And this whole failure will be on to Roman Reigns for never stopping John Cena from taking a universal title. And in the end, John's last words were to Roman is that only thing John has to do is last three seconds and Roman Reigns will be embarrassed. This whole match, this whole buildup is for Roman Reigns to be embarrassed by John Cena at SummerSlam. That's whole John Cena's whole main point. Roman hasn't been pushed to the limit to be embarrassed. That hasn't happened throughout his whole career yet. And John Cena is here to embarrass Roman Reigns. After this, we had our first match of the night and it was for the Intercontinental Championship. It had King Nakamura defeating Apollo Crews by pinfall when Nakamura hit Apollo Crews with the Kinshasa. During the match, Commander Aziz and Rick Boogs both tried to interfere in the match and they both got sent to the back by the referee. So it was down to King Nakamura and Apollo Crews. And again, Nakamura beat Apollo Crews to become the Intercontinental Champion for a second time in his WWE career. After this match, we had the Street Profits beating the Alpha Academy by pinfall when Montez Ford jumped over the ropes to land on Otis which allowed Dawkins to hit a pop-up corkscrew neckbreaker on Chad Gable. This was a nice, quick-paced tag team matchup. This was basically something just so they could fill in the time. But again, nice, quick tag team matchup. Nothing bad to say about this match at all. After this, we had an in-ring promo from Seth Rollins. His, Seth Rollins' whole main point is that he is downplaying being called an edge light. Seth Rollins is out there light and jovial whenever he says that edge is not going to be here tonight, but 
you guys don't have to worry about it because Edge called me an Edge Light. So you guys are able to bask in Edge Light tonight. And Seth Rollins is just downplaying that. He's just making light out of what Edge calling him an Edge Light. And Seth is making the argument that everything Edge has done throughout his whole career, Seth Rollins has been able to do it and do it better. Seth Rollins even has proof to back it up. He has a video play on the big screen and it showcases Edge's career highlights and compares them basically to Seth Rollins highlights. It talked about how Edge came into WWE as a member of a three-man group called The Brood. It was him, Gangrel, and Christian. It talked about how Edge didn't accomplish anything in The Brood, while Seth Rollins came in as a member of The Shield, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns. And Seth Rollins was able to accomplish a lot of things in The Shield, being the tag team champions, being the most dominant three-man group in all WWE, and etc. It talked about how Edge won the Money in the Bank contract and cashed it in. And now Seth Rollins mentions how he wins the WWE Money in the Bank and cashes it in at WrestleMania. It talks about how Edge won the Royal Rumble twice, but failed to even win his championship opportunity matches at WrestleMania, while Seth Rollins won the Royal Rumble match once, and he beat Brock Lesnar to become the Universal Champion. It's just basically a tit-for-tat video, and it's basically all showing that Seth Rollins actually does have a legitimate gripe to say that he's better than Edge. And after seeing that video, if you didn't know better, you would say that Seth Rollins has basically eclipsed Edge in those career highlights. After the video plays, Rollins realizes that Edge and the people should be thanking him. Rollins mentioned that if he had stomped on Edge's neck in 2014, Edge wouldn't have been able to make a comeback to the ring. He wouldn't have been able to act, and his daughters would have been rolling him in a wheelchair instead of Edge rolling them in, like, the little uh, baby buggies. Rollin makes a note that at SummerSlam, he's going to stomp on Edge's head through the mat, and if he is out of wrestling because of it, so be it. So this is basically Seth Rollins' way of hyping up the match just so people can get more interested in that first time ever Seth Rollins vs. Edge one-on-one face-off at SummerSlam. After this, we had a match of the Mysterios beating Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode by pinfall when Dominic was about to hit the 619 on Dolph Ziggler, but the Uso showed up on the big screen and distracted Dominic. Robert Roode ends up getting the tag, and Dominic ends up rolling up Robert Roode and gets the win. Again, this was a nice little tag team match, no more to it. After this, we had a Baron Corbin in-ring promo. The main point of this promo was that this was Baron Corbin's last-ditch effort of trying to get money before he goes into bankruptcy. Kevin Owens interrupts, and Kevin Owens tells Baron Corbin that he needs to stop begging, and that Baron Corbin has been using his misfortunate to try to get people to send him money using people's emotions against them. And Kevin Owens tells Corbin that if Corbin beats him tonight in a one-on-one match, he will give Baron Corbin $1,000. But if Baron Corbin loses, he has to stop asking people for money. Corbin accepts, and Corbin calls KO a cheap piece of, and he, before he can even finish, Kevin Owens gives him a stunner. So now we have the match of Kevin Owens versus Baron Corbin. Kevin Owens beats Baron Corbin by hitting him up, getting him in a roll-up and getting a 1-2-3. And then after the match, as Baron Corbin is just standing there idly in the ring, he doesn't know what to do now. Kevin Owens gives him a stunner, and that's the end of that match. Now we go backstage and Baron Corbin just walking backstage. He notices Big E's money in the bank briefcase and he grabs it and steals it. Big E sees him do it and then he runs after Baron Corbin. And Pat McAfee is even said it on commentary. He has Big E's money in the bank contract. Can he cash that in? Michael Cole says no, he can't cash that in. And now on to our main event segment of SmackDown. It's a contract signing between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. 
the main point of this whole contract signing is to basically hype up the main event, hype up the match between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks at SummerSlam. Bianca let Sasha know that Sasha, only thing Sasha had to do was ask for a rematch. She didn't have to attack her from behind. She didn't try to act like being a friend to Bianca just to only stab her in the back. The only thing Sasha had to do was ask for a rematch and Bianca would have given it to her. And Sasha lets Bianca know that she never has to ask for anything. She's the boss. She is the person that people have to run to to ask for anything. And you get the spitter spatter between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. And it looks like they're about to come to blows. But Sonya Deville steps in and lets them know that they're going to sign this contract. There's been too many contract signings going down. And people been getting hit hit up in too much disarray through these previous contract signings. This one isn't going to be like this. You all both are going to sign the contract. So Sasha lets DeVille know that before she signs the contract, she needs a couple witnesses out here to witness that she's signing this contract. And she brings out Carmella and Selena Vega. And Bianca Belair knows the fix is in. And Sasha tells her, you made a rookie mistake not having nobody come out here to watch your back. And they both sign the contract. And Bianca is the last person to sign the contract. And she throws the contract quickly into Sasha's face because she knows after she signs the contract, Carmella and Selena and Sasha are going to jump on her like a pack of wild hyenas. Bianca ends up getting to drop on them. She throws the contract into Sasha's face. She beats up on Carmella and Selena, but she only gets the main advantage for about a good minute before the numbers game is too much on her and she gets beat down by all three members. And in the end, Bianca Belair gets beat up by Sasha and gets put in the bank statement by Sasha Banks. And Sasha is using Bianca's own braid for leverage just to lock in and hold in that bank statement for more extra pressure. And that's how SmackDown ends, where Bianca Belair in excruciating pain as Sasha is just talking crap to her as she's locking in the bank statement with Bianca Belair's braid. Now on to AEW Rampage. This is the first Rampage of AEW's whole history. So they started off with a world title match, but not any world title match. It's the Impact Wrestling world title. And Christian Cage ends up beating Kenny Omega by pinfall. The referee was distracted by Don Callis, which allowed Kenny Omega to hit Christian Cage with a low blow. After this, Omega waves for someone to come down to the ring and out comes the Young Bucks with the chair. They slide the chair into the ring and Kenny sets the chair up and he was about to hit a one-winged angel on the chair, but Christian Cage gets out of the one-winged angel, and he ends up hitting the kill switch on the chair, and Cage throws the chair out of the ring and pins Kenny Omega, and the referee turns around and counts the pinfall, and now we have a new Impact Wrestling World Champion, Christian Cage. Jurassic Express comes down to hoist up Christian as he embraces being the Impact Champion and he's just soaking in all the cheers and adulation from the fans and audience all around. Now we get to a backstage interview from Mark Henry interviewing Christian Cage. The whole main point of this is that Christian Cage is just happy to be Impact Wrestling World Champion and he lets Kenny Omega know that he has his number and that at All Out he's going to come and collect another one of Kenny Omega's championships. After this we have our TNT title match. And also, if Fuego Del Sol wins this, he wins an AEW contract. But in the end, we all know that doesn't happen. Miro beats Fuego Del Sol by submission. But it was a fast-paced match, just to be fair. It was a fast-paced match. Fuego Del Sol hits two Tornado DDTs to start the match off. And the second Tornado DDT sent Miro outside the ring reeling. He was outside the ring for nine seconds. And before the referee can even hit that 10-second count, Miro was able to rush himself right back into the ring, and Fuego del Sol was able to hit another Tornado DDT. 
But after that, that was Fuego Del Sol's last uh, bit of offense in the match. He goes up to the top rope again, trying to look for something, but Miro catches him and gets him in a Samoan drop. He hits the Machka kick, and then after that, he locks in the game over, and that's it. Fuego Del Sol taps out, so Miro is still the TNT World Champion, and Fuego Del Sol does not get an AEW contract. Or so you think. Because as soon as Miro leaves the ring and Fuego Del Sol gets up and he's soaking in the adulation from the fans, from the clapping and just cheering on Fuego, you hear Sammy Guevara's entrance theme and Sammy Guevara and Tony Khan come out on the main ramp. And Tony Khan hands Sammy Guevara a paper of some sort. And Sammy Guevara comes down to the ring and he gets on the mic and he acknowledges how Fuego Del Sol has been coming to AEW for a year well, basically that year of pandemic year. And he lets Fuego know that Tony Khan has been watching him and he knows that the fans love him. He knows that the people in the back love him. And Sammy Guevara just hands Fuego Del Sol the contract and he tells him that he is all elite. So Fuego Del Sol might have not won the TNT title, but he ends up getting an AEW contract. And Fuego Del Sol is part of All Elite Wrestling. After this, they play a video package of Darby Allen saying, if you want to prove you're the best, you have to go through him, even if you think you are the best in the world. They play this video up to hype up next week's Rampage at the United Center in Chicago. They are hyping up slash hinting at the idea that Punk might show up at AEW. They don't say CM Punk's name, but CM Punk's whole moniker in WWE was that he was the best in the world. And Punk has tried to uh, delay that and say that he's going to be at a screening for some type of show during this time. And he's saying maybe that might be Brian Danielson. That might be Daniel Bryan. Who knows? But again, this is hyping up the idea that CM Punk might show up. And then again, it might not. But we will have to see next week on AEW Rampage in Chicago. After this, we get an interview of Mark Henry interviewing both Britt Baker and Red Velvet. And the main point of this interview is that to get both challengers last words before their match in the next couple minutes. Red Velvet lets Britt Baker know that she is here to ruin Britt Baker's night in her hometown and take the AEW Women's title. Britt lets Red Velvet know that tonight it is Britt Baker's night. She will be walking out as still AEW Women's Champion, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. And now we're on to our main event, the AEW Women's Title Match. It is Britt Baker going against Red Velvet. And this was a nice little one-on-one -on -one match for these two women. And in the end, Britt Baker gets the win by submission. Red Velvet tried to lock in the lock draw on Britt Baker, but knowing that you lock in a signature hold of your opponents on them, you got to have the you got to know that the originator of the move knows how to counter that move. In which Red Breaker did. She was able to counter out of the lockjaw and end up locking in the lockjaw on Red Velvet. She had it in one way and she tried to put the hand into Red Velvet's mouth, but she realized that she was using her hurt wrist. So Britt Baker switched it up and used her other arm that wasn't injured and locked in the lockjaw perfectly and had Red Velvet tap out. After the match, Britt Baker was still punishing Red Velvet and she hit a spinning fisherman suplex onto Red Velvet. Britt Baker set up a curb stomp. She was putting, she was about to put Red Velvet head onto the AEW Women's Championship and curb stomper, but Chris Statlander comes into the ring and stops it, and she's about to hit Britt Baker, but Chris Statlander gets hit from behind by a mystery uh, figure, and 
the woman takes off the hat and it's Jamie Hayter. She is a English wrestler who debuted on AEW two years ago, but pandemic happened. She hasn't been on AEW for two years and she's here to help out Britt Baker. She attacks Chris Statlander as Britt Baker hits the curb stomp on Red Velvet onto the AEW Women's title. So now Britt Baker has another bodyguard to help her out in her crusade to still be the face of the AEW Women's Locker Room. And that's how they end AEW Rampage as Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter standing in the middle of the ring as Britt Baker is still the AEW Women's Champion. Now before I let you guys out of here, I just want to touch on one thing that has been swirling around in the internet right now is that NXT is on a downward hill is on a dying hill is that and NXT might be dead it might be going away now that has been the rumors and speculation of the internet wrestling community of this past week and because last week when I didn't uh, cover to you guys is that NXT released 12 members of their roster they released notable members Bobby Fish Bronson Reed, Leon Ruff, Mercedes Martinez, Jake Atlas, and so forth members of the NXT roster. And also they released Tyler Rust, who was part of the Diamond Mind faction. And it's weird because reports came out this week that Triple H and Shawn Michaels, two guys who are heading up and like leading the NXT uh, brand backstage, they knew nothing about these guys and with guys and gals getting released until they found out on the internet. And that's weird to me because I believe whenever you're in a company and you're running a significant part or at least an integral part of the company where they produce and make stars that are supposed to be going up to the main roster, you will talk to who's running that operation and say, hey, yo, how's this person doing? Or are we thinking about cutting this guy? What do you think? Or we're going to need to trim some fat off the NXT roster and blah, blah, blah. See, the thing is, they have no talk. They have no communication in WWE, at least so far from what we are getting in reports. NXT is just like a little toy and little trinket to the higher ups and the people that actually make the decisions. Unless you're like an Adam Cole or even a Johnny Gagano and Tommaso Ciampa, at least those, at least. Those are three guys I would say are completely safe from getting cut out of NXT because Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano are integral parts of NXT. They are literally the heart and soul at this moment and have been the heart and soul of NXT for the last five years. While Adam Cole, he's on his last leg in NXT technically because he's only got this last, this upcoming week and then he's basically done with NXT for right now because his contract was up in July, but reports came out that WWE talked to him and asked him, can he work through uh, until NXT TakeOver 36, and he was okay with doing it. And last week, they had there was a, a report that Adam Cole talked with Vince McMahon, and we don't know, the reports haven't came out of what they talked about. It was more likely probably a contract renegotiation and if Adam Cole was still staying with WWE and so forth. None of that has came out of whether Cole is still staying with WWE or not. My whole main focus is that WWE needs to talk to Triple H. WWE needs to talk to people that are down there in NXT and running the show. Basically Triple H. Because without NXT... WWE is basically nothing, is nothing but 
Raw and SmackDown, and Raw has a big, significant problem. There are three hours of nothing. This week's Raw was absolute nothing. You missed nothing if you didn't see it. The only thing that you were likely to see was Randy Orton. That was it. Other than that, nothing. SmackDown, it was a good SmackDown. SmackDown was at least a better uh, show of the two products, and it's been the better product, the superior product, for a good solid year now since Roman Reigns has been doing the whole head-of-the-table thing. But before then... SmackDown, in my personal opinion, was just another bleh until, well, up until the, up until when Roman Reigns came back with the head of the table and during this whole uh, pandemic season. It was a whole bleh until Roman Reigns came back. Raw was a whole bleh before the pandemic and during the pandemic because they usually do nothing for three hours. Well, NXT, before the pandemic, they had things set up in motion and during the pandemic, Yes, they had some stumbles, but they were still able to crank out good takeovers and good matches. Something that Raw has a problem doing, and SmackDown can at least put out whenever they need to put out. But that's my point. WWE top officials need to talk to Triple H. They need to talk to people in NXT. They need to actually watch the product. Showing that you released people that were in some storylines already right now tells me that people in the top do not watch the storylines and do not watch their own product. You wouldn't see that in an Impact Wrestling. You wouldn't see that in an AEW. You wouldn't see that in any other, any other wrestling companies. As a matter of fact, I just told you about how they wrapped up Kiera Hogan. Kiera Hogan got beat down by Kimberly and Sue Young, and she won't be seen again because her contract is up. That's how you wrap somebody up in a company, in a wrestling company. You take care of them, and then you send them on their way out of here. NXT, WWE, they seem to lack that because they just took out Tyler Russ, who's with Diamond Mind, a top prominent faction that's being showcased right now with Roger Strong leading the helm. You took out Bronson Reed, who we all were, the internet got reports that, hey, yo, he might be going up to Raw or SmackDown after his match with Adam Cole. And apparently you guys clipped him at his wing saying, nah, we don't need you. And I mean, there's so many people that you guys just clipping and that you guys do that, that you guys don't know what you're doing. WWE as a whole, as a big time conglomerate needs to get that under control. I understand that they want to keep money in their pockets. I understand that they probably cashed in too much because AEW was the top company coming in and they had WWE felt a big threat, whether they want to say it or not. You felt a big threat. That's why you kept hiring so many independent guys that were catching buzz. And now that the whole thing is starting to simmer down and AEW signing certain people that you guys are releasing or taking in certain people that you guys have released. Now you can feel like, OK, I can just release this person, release this person and see if AEW will grab them up because it's already been speculated that Vince McMahon is letting go of certain people and it's letting go to roster talent because AEW is going to sign them and AEW only can have only has so much money in the bank account and he's trying to bleed out Tony Khan dry which is a stupid maneuver to do because Tony Khan knows how to put people into certain TV angles aka a one shot or even a multiple shot deal without having a legit long-term contract with them aka 2.0 they have a match next week with Darby Allen and Sting on AEW Dynamite, and they're not even signed. This will be their third time showing up on AEW, but they're going to be making some money, and they're not signed, and if anything, this is just boosting up their independent booking rates for whenever P 
people want to book them on their independent shows. AEW knows how to work this stuff in. So does Impact Wrestling. They might not sign you to a contract, but they know how to put you into their television show whenever they want to put you in as a, okay, we'll bring you in as a per appearance type basis. WWE needs to learn how to do that. We're not signing you. We want to have you for this many weeks, and then we'll see how that goes. That's how WWE needs to do it for future references with people that they have some idea that they might want instead of, okay, here's... Here's a contract, sign it. Because right now, you're showing up a bad precedent. You fired so many prominent talent. You fired so many prominent names that you signed because you were afraid that they would go to AEW that now you're leaving people with a bad taste in their mouth for WWE. Even people that might have the dream to go to WWE, they now are looking at WWE like, eh, I don't want to go there because if I go there in the next year, they might not need me or might be in the next couple months. They might not need me and fire me. So again, WWE as a whole needs to figure out their hiring practices and their firing practices. What do we want? What are we looking for? And when we have them, how long do we want to keep them in a certain spot? How long do we want to keep them here? Or what's our future for them? And then once they have met that or haven't met that, okay, do we keep them here for this many months? Or do we want to cut them here and let them know, Ayo, you got so many weeks before we cut you or here's what we want to do with you this is the type of business that wwe needs to do and function yet again this is another communication problem that they are having i hope wwe fixes this and gets back on track because aew knows what to do aew is doing well impact wrestling is doing well nxt is a great wrestling corporation inside the wwe bubble and we need to keep nxt as that great white hope for wrestling fans that want to watch wrestling on the WWE product. So again, WWE, get your communication people in order and get it in check so NXT can still be that dominant, white, shining beacon of hope for wrestlers that want to watch professional wrestling and fans that want to watch professional wrestling under the WWE umbrella. That's my last little uh, notion for this whole banter that I got right here for the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I want to thank you all for listening to me. I have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow, and I'm going to be talking about things that have happened in this week of the news. And I'm going to be really diving in majority, a lot of my time for the Andrew Cuomo deal. But you'll hear about that tomorrow if you guys want to listen to that. But if not, check me out next Saturday for another episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And let me before I send you guys out of here, let me give you my social media tags. On Twitter, it's at My2Podcast. On Instagram, My2CentsPodcastG2. And for Yahoo, if you want to send me any type of business inquiries or you just want to email me, it's My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. And remember, podcast is available on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I want to thank you all for listening to me. And I love you guys. I want you to have a great rest of your Saturday and a great rest of your week. I hope you do tune in for tomorrow's episode where I talk about the news. But if not, check me out next Saturday for another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I love you all. Have a great rest of your day. Be blessed. And remember to wear your mask for the love of God. But other than that, uh, God bless. Love you all. Bye-bye now. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.